Hello and welcome to the Christ Fellowship Weekly Podcast. At Christ Fellowship, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and His purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit ChristFellowship.org. We hope you enjoy this week's sermon from Lead Pastor Jamie Miller. We've been following Jesus on this journey to the cross, and we've been looking at some of the mountaintop experiences. So we talked about the Sermon on the Mount twice. Two messages there. There was a message on the Mount of Transfiguration. Last week was kind of uh, Mount Zion. He's in Jerusalem. Two, two different messages. One on John 13 and 14. One on John 15 through 17. The farewell address. Talked about the Trinity. Talked about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and us being brought into that relationship. So much wonderful stuff there. And today is another one of those messages where he's, he's on, the, on the Mount of Olives and then he's back to the Temple Mount, back and forth. And I'm going to explain and unpack some of that this morning. But let's read this passage together. This is the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. That's what day this is on the church calendar. And we're reading along. Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says, why are you doing this? Tell him the Lord needs it and will send it back shortly. They went and found a colt in the street tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Untying that colt. And they answered as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread branches that they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything, and since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Lord, bless the reading of your word. So, <clears throat> here we go. The climactic story of Jesus, the king who's coming back to Jerusalem, coming as the king, riding on the foal of a donkey. This is, there's some power packed stuff here, and it's really uh, it's dense. It's really concentrated. There's a lot happening here, and I want to kind of tell a story that I think will help unpack that. There was one time about 17 years ago that I visited Jerusalem. I actually know kind of what this this looks like. I was in Jerusalem for an hour and a half. Isn't that crazy? Like you're going to go to Jerusalem, wouldn't you want to stay longer? But I was actually in Nablus in the West Bank. We were visiting some missionary friends. It was me and Jimmy Seibert and a, a guy named Brent Mitchell who's uh, on staff at a church in, now, and uh, he's on staff here for 13 years and then planted Christ Fellowship Hawaii. And now he's on staff at a church in Amarillo called Trinity. And uh, so there we were, and we'd been, you know, praying and ministering to this, this church planting team there in the West Bank, but we had like four hours. And so we said, hey, I've never been to Jerusalem. You've been? No, I've been. And Chris said, let's do it. I'll get a taxi. They'll come pick us up. And we can go to Jerusalem, see the city, and come back in these four hours. That sounds weird, doesn't it? There's a lot to see. But with a tour guide like Chris, we were able to do it. We were able to facilitate. We walked the Via Della Rosa, got some uh, dates along the way, ate some dates. We went to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. 
And there we saw the, the original Calvary place, the original tomb place, uh, uh, tomb of Jesus. And then we went from there to the garden tomb. Meditated, not a long time, but meditated on that a bit. That's pretty awesome. Then we went from there to the wailing wall. Prayed, not a long time, right? Because we just had a short, short amount of time. Just prayed, but there's so much there. I mean, the, the wailing wall in Jerusalem. And then from there, we hopped back in the car, drove across the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives. And there we went to Gethsemane, looked at the old olive trees, 2,000-year-old trees, looked across at the Temple Mount. We're like, wow, this is where Jesus prayed. It was just it was amazing. Now, the reason I'm telling you that story is there's, that, that is so dense and compacted what was happening there and what all those things, all those pieces of that great story represent. That's kind of what's happening here as we look at the triumphal entry. There's so much backstory going into this that if you don't think about the whole thing, you miss out. It's not just Jesus coming into town on a donkey. You know, it's, it, there's more to the story than that. So let's back up. And I just want to, by way of introduction here, kind of unpack this a bit. Several, maybe a couple months ago, back in February sometime, one of the messages we talked about is about David, and we talked about how God wanted to be king, but the people rejected God as king. You remember this? The people reject God as their king. We want a king like everybody else. So Saul's anointed, becomes king, but then he does some stuff and he's rejected. So then God raises up David. David is anointed. He becomes king of Israel. And God comes to David with this incredible promise that through you, I'm going to put on one of your descendants on the throne and he will be on the king. He will be king and be on the throne forever and ever, which is a pretty incredible promise, right? David's pumped. You know, this is this is all part of this story that we're talking about today. So a couple hundred years after the promise to David, Isaiah comes along in Isaiah chapter nine and says, for unto us, a child is born, a son is given. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So it's just bigger, 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 bigger. That's what's coming. Zechariah picks up this king theme. This king is coming back. And he prophesies in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, riding on a donkey on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the Old Testament is telling a story about the longing for a king, for God coming back to town, as it were. Psalm 118 is the story. It's another uh, verse that we're even quoting today in Mark, but it's, it's, a, it's a promise about Jesus coming. And the stone is actually, the, it's the one the builders reject becomes the capstone. And you even see this rejection happening even in the story. Later on today, we're going to see that. But he's rejected. Jesus is rejected. But that just some of the very next verses there say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And that's what the people shout when Jesus is coming into town. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So if you roll the clock, I'm just kind of rolling the clock forward. You know, David, Isaiah, Zechariah, and the, the Psalms. And even if you go to the end of the Old Testament, what's that book called? Malachi. And at the end of the end, in Malachi chapter 3, there's a promise. And it says, see, I will send my messenger ahead of you. 
and then I will come suddenly to the temple. But we don't know if it's going to be a good thing. He says he's coming suddenly to the temple, but he's going to bring judgment with him. He's going to bring a heat and a refiner's fire that's going to heat things up so that the impurities and the dross comes to the surface and he can clear that stuff off. Wow, that's a lot happening. That was 400 years before Jesus comes. And so when Jesus comes, you know, it's everything changes, right? Mark chapter one, verse one picks up that theme from Malachi chapter three. Stay with me here. Mark one literally quotes that. See, I'm going to send my messenger ahead of me. He, he says that. And, and what's behind that? He doesn't quote it in Mark one, but is and I'm going to come to the temple suddenly. So that's what's that's what's happening. That's what's in behind this story. So there's a direct line from God, the king, God rejected all of these promises, promised through David all the way up here to Mark one to Mark eleven. And that's where we're at today. It's the same story being told. And we've got to be pulled in on that. It's not just Jesus coming into town. It's Jesus coming into town as the king and as God returning to the temple. So that's, that's the story that we're in. And every time at Palm Sunday, this, when this year rolls around like this, we stay on the church calendar. And as we remember, Jesus Christ came to Jerusalem on this Sunday the question that always gets posed to us is, how will we respond when Jesus comes into our lives? When Jesus breaks into our lives, how do we respond? This is not just a one-time thing. He's broken in in many of our lives, but He wants to break in again and again and again. He wants us to live in the encounter of His life. How do we respond to Him in our marriages and in our families and with our friends? How do we respond in our workplaces? All of that's going on here as Jesus comes as the King and as Jesus comes as God in the flesh returning to Jerusalem. How are people going to respond? So a similar version of this story is found in Luke chapter 19, verse 41. And listen what Jesus says. As He approached Jerusalem and saw the city, He wept over it and said, if you... Even you had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come on you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground and your children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Wow. So... We were made for worship. We were made for response to God. That's how God made us. And the question is, how are we going to respond? And that's what we want to talk about today. The main thing in one soundbite is this. God's calling us to celebrate the, the reign, the good reign of Jesus in the way we worship and turn to Him in all of life. That's what we want to be about. We want to celebrate the good reign of Jesus in all of life by turning to Him, by worshiping Him. So the, the first piece here is celebrating the reign of Jesus through our joyful worship. Somebody say, yeah. Amen. Joyful worship. Like, smiling. Right? Not a bummer. But the Lord's in His holy temple. Yes, the Lord is in His holy temple. And when you encounter something that you truly love, 
some joy gets on you. So, Hosanna! They shouted. Don't always have to shout, but maybe there's some times that it's appropriate to shout. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming King, kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is still revealing himself in our hearts and in our lives and in our church and in our city and in the nations. All of that's happening. And it's joyful because our hearts long for joy. And nobody's excluded from this. Nobody's excluded from the longing for joy. We try to fill our hearts with that joy feeling, that, that sense of joy that, with so many different things. It could be sinful things, it could be, but nothing fills it like Jesus. He is the deepest longing that satisfies the deepest need, desires of our hearts. Learning to treasure Jesus, man, I mean, it's like that's at the center of the center of the center of the center. And when we discover Him, it's what we were made for, not these other things that distract us, you know, things that put us off in the ditch. When we discover Him, we found what we were made for. We found the longing, that desire that's in our hearts more than anything else for right relationships, for joy, for peace, for rightness in the world. That is lined up in lining up with Jesus and His worship. Joyful worship of Jesus. And so, you know, it's a, it's a, it's an important piece. It's an important aspect of, of what we do and how we live to, to live lives of, of joyful worship. It's a key part of our story here at Christ Fellowship. And I've shared some of this down through the last few months, but I mean, we were like, when we got started, we were like pilgrims crossing the, the ocean or something, man. I mean, we wanted to be able to worship like we saw worship in the Bible. You know, and it doesn't mean that you have to shout every Sunday. Or it doesn't mean that you have to kneel every Sunday. It doesn't mean that you have to dance every Sunday. I don't usually do that move. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to lift your hands every Sunday. It doesn't mean that you have to lay prostrate every Sunday. It doesn't mean that you have to uh, give a clash to the cymbals every Sunday. You know, but spirit and truth worship. Worship that is down on the inside in our heart of hearts, in our spirit, down in here, spirit that finds itself in truth. Spirit and truth worship is, it gets out into reality. That's what truth means, reality. And so you don't have to do all those things every Sunday, but there's freedom to respond to God in ways that are visible. Like, I'm worshiping, like, what if I said, I love Kim so much, but I didn't make it visible to her. But hey, it's inside, it's in my heart but I didn't make it visible to her. You know, it's just, and there's a progression in that. You don't just jump straight into, why, don't, why do we have to do joyful worship? Why don't we just go straight to the throne room? Just, just, just y'all walk in and we're just, it's because it's a relationship with a living God. R relationships don't actually work like that. You know, there, there's talking and, you know, this is a, a married context here, but you don't, the married thing doesn't happen without talking and you don't it's the intimacy is you you move into intimacy so that makes sense she's like ah sorry but he saved us he set us free he's delivered us he's brought us out of darkness and brought us into light and love and joy and peace why would we not want to worship this this great king and so part of the deal is too you don't 
I want to encourage us to persevere in worship, to experiment, have an experiment mentality in worship. What do I mean by that? I mean, just keep taking next steps with God. He tells you something to do, just take that next step. Sometimes it might be, your sacrifice of praise might be to get on your knees sometime in worship. Like, oh, everybody's looking at me right now. Oh, Jesus, this is for you. And, you know, I mean, lifting your hands could be like that. Or just, but take next steps. Just experiment. Let's, let's worship Him. He's worth it. And let's, let's you know, I'm just sit, I'm just, I like to sit. That's fine. But let your face know, even while you're sitting there, Jesus, I love you. I worship you. There's a way to sit and worship your heart out. Right? So it's, it's all of that. We're, we're worshipers. We're created to be joyful worshipers who persevere. I don't know how all these guys that said Hosanna and shouted all that on that day. I don't know how they finished, but we want to finish well. We want to keep going. We don't want to just shout it here, but seven days a week. And I, I don't want to do stuff here on Sundays that I'm unwilling to do in my private time of worship. You know, I want to lead out and grow there, and it'll make it even easier to be here who you are there in private, right? This is part of growing up as disciples, oh, to worship Jesus with all of our hearts who's going to bring us into, like we talked about last week, the love of the Father and the power of the Spirit. You can't get away from that. So that's number one, joyful worship. We celebrate Jesus, the reign of Jesus through our joyful worship. And then number two, we celebrate the reign of Jesus through our tender response. Okay, verse 25. I'm going to unpack a few of these little pieces here before verse 25, but I just want to this is part of the tenderness. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. God is calling us to a tender response to the goodness of God in our lives. He is good. He's good. And this triumphal entry sets off a whole key, a, a number of different key events. And I want to kind of walk through this. So you've got the Mount of Olives over here, and you've got the Temple Mount over here. This is Mount of Olives. This is what's down here? The Kidron Valley. So Mount of Olives, Kidron Valley, Temple Mount. Okay, so everybody's seeing it. It's like, it's like going to Jerusalem, basically, kind of, but not. So Mount of Olives. So Jesus arrives first day on Sunday goes through the Kidron Valley, comes up to the Mount of Olives, goes to the temple, stands around, looks at stuff, goes back across the Kidron Valley, goes back out to sleep with the twelve, right? We just read that. Day two, Monday morning, he gets up, he goes with the twelve, starts heading out, and they're heading across the, the, the Mount of Olives, and he sees a fig tree there. And the fig tree's in leaf, but it has no fruit on it, and so he curses it, and they move on. They go across the Kedron Valley. They come up to the Temple Mount where Jesus enters the temple and he starts turning over the tables. He quotes Isaiah 56, 7 and Zechariah uh, chapter 7, excuse me, Jeremiah chapter 7. And he says, this is supposed to be a house of prayer. My house is a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of robbers and thieves turns the tables over. He does all kinds of stuff there. He does many things, but he does not pray there. Heads back across the Kidron Valley, spends the night with the twelve. The next morning they get up. They're heading back across again. 
there on the Mount of Olives. And Peter says, Lord, look, that fig tree that you cursed yesterday is completely withered. Of course, we know and understand that that's a picture of judgment, of, of judgment that he, the, the Lord was looking for fruit, but it wasn't there. And there's some other judgments that are happening. You know, as he, he comes across the Kidron Valley, comes back over here again. He has an interaction with the religious leaders and they're challenging his authority. And he's telling a parable about the stewards and these guys that were given the vineyard and, and were supposed to be producing fruit in keeping with that vineyard. And so the, the owner sends, sends uh, uh, people to talk with them, but they, they beat him up and send him away. And finally, he sends his son and they kill the son. And of course, this is the whole trajectory of where, of where this week is going. Back and forth across the Kidron Valley. Ultimately, the, you know, he is, he's led to the cross on that Thursday, Thursday, the judgment on that Thursday night and then the cross on Friday morning. So, what, what all's happening here? God knew that Jesus would be going to the temple. Jesus knew this, this piece about the temple. What all's happening? So there's, there's some big stuff about, and I wanted to say these two words because we need to hear them. Judgment and mercy. Judgment and mercy. The judgment of God and the mercy of God. And so there's judgment against the temple. There's judgment against the people. There's judgment really against humanity that's broken to the point that it cannot be fixed and has to be dealt with in an authoritative final kind of way, and Jesus is going to do all of that. And it's His mercy that enables Him you know, to, to come out the other side, and for us to come out the other side of that judgment. And so one of the things, Yancey was, uh, had to take off, but you know, one of the things we've talked about for years is that the people were looking forward, the Jewish people were looking forward to God coming, to returning to the temple, to to uh, they didn't know it was going to look like Jesus, obviously, but they were looking forward to God returning to the temple. And they would say, since this is a house of prayer, since the temple is a house of prayer, what will God pray when God comes to the temple? And the prayer they would say that he would say is, may the measure of my mercy exceed the measure of my judgment. It's a great prayer, but it's also very scriptural. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It does. And it's God's mercy that comes to us. His mercy in regard to the temple. I'm going to destroy this thing. It ended up getting destroyed physically. I mean, they built on that. It wasn't even finished. Josephus says until 66, year 66, it was completely destroyed in 70. Completely. Every stone torn down burned. Completely destroyed. So, so there's judgment against the temple, but he builds up another to destroy this temple. I'll rebuild it in three days. Our temple is in him. It's us together, Jew, Gentile, all nations together in Messiah. That's the good news. So judgment comes, but mercy's greater. Judgment comes against the religious leaders, against the temple, you know, but his mercy's greater. Judgment comes against humanity, but Jesus, God becoming flesh, finds a way to, just in God becoming flesh, He unites Himself with us, with Adam, and takes us with Him to the cross. That's where this week is going. Takes us with Him to the cross so that we can say, like Paul in Romans chapter 6, verse 6, for we know that our old self was crucified with Christ 
on the cross. And because we die with Him, we are also raised with Him. I'm getting ahead in the story. We're going to play this big next week and loud, right? But we are also raised with Him, and that's mercy. It's the mercy of God. It's so huge. You know, so it's, it's not just, it's a defeat of religion. It's a defeat of the powers. It's a defeat of our flesh. It's a defeat, ultimately, of death itself. And this is awesome good news, man. I mean, it's like incredible. How do we respond to this? How do we respond? I'll just wrap it up with this. We respond with joyful worship. We respond with hearts that say, Lord Jesus, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There's none like you. We praise you. We love you. Lord, affect me. Affect my heart. Make it soft and tender. Give me grace to respond to you in everything and in every way. You are Lord. You reign over all of life. And we respond with tender hearts, with tenderness. The Bible calls this repentance. With metanoia, it means we turn from the way we were going and turn to God. But here's what I want to say about this. And this is, is really huge for depends on what kind of system you grew up in or background you're from. This is not a legalistic repentance. It's not, I'm going to turn around and repent so that God will start liking me. So I'm going to turn around and repent so that, so that I, I'll now be right enough for God to accept me. That's not how it works. It reminds me, sometimes I'll be on the golf course. This is, this is a crazy illustration. I'll be on the golf course. If I ever hit some fluky, weird shot, you know what people call it? They call it a pastor shot. If I hit one off the wall and it kicks out into the fairway, pastor shot. Right? And I'm like, that is not good theology, guys. That is not how it works. I do some stuff for God. He helps me out with a few shots here and there. And that's not how it works in the spiritual realm either. It's not we do some stuff for God. That's, that, I'm going to repent. That's legalistic repentance. I'm talking about even, evangelical repentance. And this is where Jesus Christ has done it all. He's done everything. There's nothing you could ever do to add to anything that He's done for you. And because He's done all that, we don't keep going our own way, but we turn to Him. And that's good news. It's the best news ever. Jesus Christ loves you and died for you and for the sins of the whole world. He's made it all right in Him. And you don't get to add to it, but man, you get to participate in it. <laughs> it's great news. Oh, man. I think I'm done. Y'all stand up. Let's, let's respond. Let's respond to the Lord this morning. Worship team, come. Ministry team, come. Okay, because the reason we do this, if you're visiting with us, we do this at the end of every service. And that is we take a little time to say, Lord, speak to us. Speak to me. Show me how to respond to you in this moment. This, this is the Word of God. It's true. Shape our minds, our hearts, our lives with Your Word. Shape it. Make it right. Make us, just renew us. Transform us. I just, I want to say to you guys, you know, it is His kindness. And it's always been His kindness that leads us to repentance. He's so, he's so unbelievably kind and so unbelievably good that it's going to take coming ages. Ephesians 2 says it's going to take coming ages 
for Him to reveal the, the grace that's in His kindness that's been expressed to us in Christ Jesus. We were dead, but now we're alive. We're lost, but now we're found in Him. And so this kindness really does make us, it gives me a turning heart. It gives me a, a renewing mind. And I'm not there, I'm on the journey with you. But this is our trajectory. And so there's times where it's like, Lord, renew my mind, renew me. Bring me to that place of knowing you with intimacy again. And so three invitations. One is, if you're not walking with Jesus, man, let's let today be the day that you say, yes, Jesus, you're the King. Yes, Jesus, you're the Lord. I want to follow you with all my life. So if that's you, just let's start the journey today. Next, next week, we're doing baptisms. That would be the next step. If you've not been baptized in water, then be baptized. Just let us know and we'll let somebody know. We can do that next week. That'll be awesome. On Easter Sunday, baptisms. But here's the thing. A lot of times our repentance, you know, it's, it's, it's to things that we don't always think about. It's not just gross sin. Sometimes we need to repent from me, from always thinking about me or I, thinking that everybody's thinking about me. And I need to turn and look to Jesus who's the treasure and the Lord and the King. And it might look different ways for different people, but it's a turning. It's what God's calling us to. And that we would be joyful worshipers with all of our hearts. And that may be today, you just need to put a stake in the ground and say, get somebody to pray for you and say, I want to be this kind of worshiper. I want to be this kind of tender-hearted, turning to Jesus because of His kindness and grace kind of person. And finally, just whatever your need is, if you've got prayer needs, you need healing, finances, some kind of relational thing happening, just please don't leave without getting somebody to pray for you. I say it each week, but this is some of the most important time of the whole morning. It's taking time to pray right now. So whatever your need is, Father, draw us in the power of Your Spirit. Draw us to Jesus this morning. Amen. Hey, you guys, come. Get prayer. Go for it. Be bold.